Well, good morning. It's my honor to welcome you here to the service. Uh, today, if you're visiting with us, maybe you were part of VBS this past week and you chose to worship with us today, we want to welcome you here today. Or maybe you just drove by and said, I'm going to go there. Whatever reason you're here today, if you're visiting, please stop by our guest table after the service. We have a guest bag we'd love to give you. And we'd encourage you to fill out a guest card that's located back there. Or you can care, fill out the care card that's in your bulletin. We would love to have a record of your visit. But uh, I just want to say, uh, you know, this past week, we just want to thank the Lord for a great week of VBS. And I know on behalf of Justin, I want to thank everyone who uh, made the effort, made the time, made the sacrifice to serve last week. Um, it was well worth it. We averaged around 150, 160 children each night, uh, had over 150 volunteers each night. Uh, this past week, our goal was to raise money for Baptist Children's Home. They have a shoe project. They have to buy shoes for all the children that are in the Baptist Children's Homes. And uh, last week was raised, to this point, $5,140, which is amazing. And I had a chance to speak to one of our middle school students who accepted Christ Wednesday, uh, come to an understanding. I was reminded that a lot of EBS, the impact continues. It may be in the conversations that happen in your home or right before bed. Seeds were planted, the gospel is shared, and I encourage you as parents, if your children have questions, please step into that, talk to them. We've got copies of the Lamb book we'd love to put in your hands to help your kids understand what it means to trust in Jesus. And we just praise the Lord for all that he did. Galatians 6, 9 says this, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not lose heart. And it's just a reminder, everything we do for him is worth it. Our time here this morning, it's worth it. So we just want to praise him this morning. Take just a minute before we begin our worship time. Greet your neighbor, say hello to them, pat them on the back, give them a fist bump, whatever you're comfortable with, welcome them to the service.
give me a mic. Just a couple things I want to mention before we have our prayer time. Uh, many of you know Donald Robertson is in the hospital, and uh, he's in ICU at, at Fry Hospital, and I talked to Ann last night. And all I'll tell you is this family really, really needs your prayers. So when we open this altar up for prayer, uh, please come and pray for Ann and Amanda, Courtney back there, and their family, and pray for Donald. I had a good visit with him Thursday, and one of the last things he said before I left was, thank you, Jesus. What a blessing that is. So you pray for, pray for them. Uh, we have so many other uh, people that are in need of your prayers. Um, if you look in your uh, bulletin, we have a lot of names that are there. And uh, you, you can use this time to pray for yourself, for your family. I'd encourage you to pray for our uh, service today. Also, it's a time of thanksgiving. God's been good to us. I want to thank all our BBS workers. What a blessing it is to uh, be able to host BBS and have so many volunteers. That's a blessing. And so many young children are on our campus. Uh, and like Kevin said, we don't know what God's going to do from that moment on. We're just so thankful that the gospel was shared. And we don't know how many total decisions were made, but, but we're just so thankful that we had opportunity to share the gospel. But as our praise team and our choir leads us in this time of prayer, if you will, meet me here at this altar, and then Mark's going to lead us in the time of prayer this morning. Thank you. Father, in your word, you said to come before you and to be still and to know that you're God and you're on your throne. And Father, we trust you. You're sovereign. You're in control of all things. And Father, you know what we face in life. And Father, I pray for Donald and his family. I pray that you'd come and comfort them and give them peace. Lord, in the time of trouble, your presence is so ever real. As we just sung about just a few minutes ago. That means you're there. That means you're faithful. Lord, that means you're here with us. Lord, you never leave us. You never forsake us. And we thank you for those times in life that, Lord, that you've come to heal the brokenhearted. Lord, I pray for those on this altar this morning. Lord, as they call out to your name, those in the pew calling out to you, Father, I pray you'd hear prayer this morning. Lord, may we go into our closet and shut the door. And, Father, for those who are sick at home and recovering, those we love so much, Lord, we pray you'd bring healing in your wings. Lord, that you'd touch them and raise them up and make them well. Lord, you can do all things. We believe in you. We trust you. And Father, I pray, Father, that you'd bless this time of worship. May you be glorified. Father, may we let everything aside, lay everything aside and just worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, may we glorify you. And Father, may you be honored and pleased in our worship. Father, look into our hearts. And, Father, make us more like Jesus and less like us. And, Father, we love you this morning. Thank you so much for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.
and you may be seated. Jesus over you, in your hurt and in your sorrow, I ask my God to move, I speak the name cause it's all that I can do, in desperation I seek heaven, I pray this for you, I pray for your healing, the circumstances would change. I pray that the fear inside would flee in Jesus' name. I pray that a breakthrough would happen today. I pray miracles over your life in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I speak the name of all authority declaring blessings every promise is faithful to keep I speak the name no grave could ever hold he is greater he is stronger he's the God of possible I pray for your healing the circumstances would change I pray that the fear inside would flee in Jesus' name. I pray that a breakthrough would happen today. I pray miracles over your life in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Circumstances would change. I pray that the fear inside would flee. In Jesus' name, I pray that a breakthrough would happen today. I pray miracles over your life. In Jesus' name, I pray for revival, the restoration of faith. I pray that the dead will come alive. 
Amen. Thank you, Leslie. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and stand with me. Very familiar passage of Scripture, but probably some of the most convicting Scripture um, in the Bible. When you think about how is your love life, how, do you, um, how are you at showing love to those in your family, uh, to those in your community, to those in your church, to those in your workplace, uh, Paul raises the bar here. On love, and as I read these scriptures, especially when you study scriptures like this, you just see how far you fall short of reaching this high standard of what love is. If we're all honest. If we're all honest. We we could all say we have times when we're really not patient. We really envy. We're really puffed up. I mean, if we're just honest, I had an opportunity to speak in a prison Friday with Forgiven Ministries. I really appreciate Scotty Barnes. I'm a big. Uh, big uh, supporter of their ministries, and I really appreciate Scotty going behind bars. Most people don't want to do that kind of work, and she kind of embodies what I'm talking about today. She loves people that most people find unlovable. I mean, she loves them. There's nothing fake about what she does, and I'm just, you know, seeing her in that environment and how she just kind of flows through that, speaking to men that are about to spend a day with their dad, okay, in prison, and Scotty makes that possible. And she shows the love of Jesus. And that's what this verse is about. These verses are about. Notice verse 1 of chapter 13. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove a mountain, so, I, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Think about that for a moment. Paul's not just throwing out words. He's not just making up stuff. If you had the faith to move a mountain, but you don't have love, Paul says it's nothing. That's an amazing thought. Love is so important. Notice what else he says. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Very convicting passage, if we're honest. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Then he says prophecies will fail, tongues will fail and cease, knowledge it will vanish away, but love will last forever. So how is your love life this morning? How is your love life this morning? I'm going to encourage you at the invitation time, you don't have to come forward by the way. To really commit yourself to a higher standard of loving your neighbors yourself. Loving your spouse as Christ loved the church. Imagine, if you will, if a church like East Taylorville loved the community like these verses say. Imagine how your workplace would change if you would just apply 1 Corinthians 13, the first seven verses to your life. It's an amazing thing. Jesus told the disciples, the whole world is going to know your mind. Listen to what he said by how you love each other. That's an amazing thought. And when Christianity started to spread, it wasn't just the message of the resurrection that changed people. It was how the church loved each other first and then loved their community second. Changed the world. Isn't it amazing? Doesn't the world need a little more love? I know it does. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, help us to love more. Father, help us to be patient, to be kind, to not envy. To keep... Lord, help us to throw our scorebooks away. We can all be guilty of keeping records of wrongs. Lord, help us not to be that type of person. 
Lord, help us to be real with you this morning. To take off our church faces at times, that, which can be so fake if we're not careful, and just be honest with you as an individual. Not think about our spouse, or think about our kids, or about our neighbor, or that, this person or that person, but to think about ourselves. Lord, these verses are so convicting, but they're so true. Because you see the power that when a church loves each other and loves its neighbor and loves the community, Lord, how that can change everything. So, Father, I pray that we would be that type of church. That we would be that type of church to this community, to each other, that we'd love each other. And, Father, help us to be that way, Father. And if there's anyone here today that's never experienced the love of Jesus, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. And we'll thank you and praise you for the things alone that you can do. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said together, Amen. The word Paul uses here for love is agape. It's the same word used in John 17, 26. It talks about the love the Father has for the Son. It's the same word used in John 3, 16 that talks about how God loves the world. It, it, the word agape is a love of the will, which means I don't love you because I feel like it, or I don't feel in love with you. I love you. It's, a, it's an act of my will to love you. It's something that I make myself do. And this love is commanded. Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you. Now think about Jesus who, who kept all the Ten Commandments, right? He kept them all. He said, I'm going to give you another one. Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking? Don't steal. Don't covet. Don't do all these things. And then Jesus said, this is a new one I give you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. And then John 15, 7, Jesus says, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. The Trinity's love, love, love. And Jesus says, I want you to love. This love is God-like. It's divine. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It can't be based on emotion. It's based on the will. And it always involves helping. It always involves helping. Dr. Carl Menninger, a famous psychiatrist, said, Love is the medicine for our sick world. If people can learn to give and receive love, they will usually recover from their physical and mental illnesses. Isn't that amazing? So the first thing Paul gives us is the, is the necessity of love. Notice on verse, in verses 1 and 2, Paul says this. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Think about that. He's talking about you can have speech without love. You think about the church at Corinth. It was blessed with great preaching teaching, singing, all the spiritual gifts God gives, and, but yet they uh, lacked love. They had right doctrine, good programs, great ministry, but they didn't have love. And Paul rebukes them for it. Notice the word tongues. It comes from the Greek word, which really means language. Paul's talking about the gift of public teaching and speaking. I love great orators. Okay, I like guys who don't have country slang like I do. I remember the first time. How many of you remember Marion Powell? Anybody? A lot of you? Yeah, I've served with Marion Powell. The first time I worked in a church was I was a part-time student pastor at Three Forks. I met Marion Powell. At, at that time, it was called Skins. You remember that place? Skins. And when the waitress came up, I was checking Marion out and his checking me out. He was dressed up. It was Saturday morning. I had on jogging pants and a T-shirt, right? We're sitting there. She says, what do you have? I said, runny eggs and bacon. That's what I said. Marion Powell said, a Belgian waffle. I went, what? I did. I said, what? A Belgian waffle. And he talked about syrup. And I, I thought, are you for real? And then when I heard him preach, I was like, man, this guy can just speak. He can just speak. It just flows 
What a great, I had, a, I had the honor to speak, to speak at his funeral service. Think about politicians who can sway the world with their speech. You know, it was said, how did all those people follow Hitler? He was a great speaker. Watch him speak. Everything he said was wrong, but people would just fell in love with him. Hitler would get up there, now he was short, about Mark's height, and he would stand on a, on a box, right? And then this is what Hitler would do, because he had all this authority. He would stand there for 30 seconds. One speech person said it's the most amazing thing ever. A guy with that much authority gets up there and just stares at people for 30 seconds. And then he starts speaking and just rallies the whole country into all this bad. You know, they say, how will the world follow the Antichrist? You know what the the Bible says? He's going to speak. Isn't it amazing how we can sway people? Think about this, parents. Your kids go to college. They can be swayed the good way or the bad way. Amen? Isn't it amazing how a speaker can change everything? Paul's talking about good speaking. He says, if I have the tongues of man, if I'm one of the greatest speakers in Corinth, what if I have heavenly language? He says, but if I don't have love in my heart when I'm speaking, I sound like a gong. You remember the gong show? Those of you are you're dating yourselves, all right? People that watched the gong show had eight-track tapes in their cars, all right? You know what I'm saying? He said, you sound like a gong. He says, you sound like a gong. If I have all this great speech, then he says, what about prophecy? This gives the idea of preaching that you can uh, ha- foretell judgment and things like that. I remember my son listening when he was young. I mean, he was probably about seven or eight. And somebody gave me this cassette to listen to. And this guy was screaming. <laughs> he, was, he was mad at everything. Hair length, clothes you wear. I thought, man, I got to repent right now of what I'm wearing. And I remember when I was done, I said, I said, Jordan, what do you think? He said, was that, is that man mean? I said, he sure sounds like it. Now, isn't that something? The gift of speaking and how it can change people. He says, not only that, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. Notice this, special revelation. Look at the word mysteries. What that word means in the New Testament, things that were really concealed in the Old Testament that God revealed in the New Testament, like the gospel. Think about this. If, if you knew the parables as Jesus was speaking them, You know, the disciples didn't know it. What about the secrets of the kingdom? All these things. Think about the the end times, the rapture, pre-tribulation, predestination. Where did God come from? What if you knew all that and you could just explain it? He says, if you know all that but you don't have love, it means nothing. Look at the word knowledge. I like listening to guys that are smarter than me, which is most people. I love to hear them talk with the Bible, right? No opinion, just give me what the book says. I love to hear these people speak. He says, what if, you, what if you have all that but don't have love? You know what that becomes a lot of times? Knowledge without love oftentimes leads to legalism. He says, what if you have all faith but you can remove a mountain? What if I could go to Brenner's and heal everybody? Paul says if I do that and don't have love, if I have the wrong motives, for me, not for the people, but for me, it's going to amount to nothing eternally. Think about that for a moment. What if you serve at VBS out of duty but you don't have love for people think about that for a moment serving he says what if I feed the poor look at this what if I give all that I have to feed the poor that means it comes from a Greek word that means give mouthful by mouthful because people need it so bad feeding a starving person one piece at a time at your own expense it's it's like a person gives their whole estate away but they don't have love he says it don't mean nothing give my body to be burned talking about martyrdom could I give my body on the mission field and it mean nothing yep think about on 9-11 you have these um, 
uh, Muslim radicals who fly a plane into buildings that kill so many people. They gave their bodies to be burned. They didn't have love. They believed a lie. What if, what, if you, what if you give yourself for the cause of Christ, but you have not love? Paul says this. It means absolutely nothing. Those are strong words. Those are hard to wrap your mind around. That you can give your whole life to something, but if on the inside you don't love, it means absolutely positively nothing. That's the necessity of love. You've got to have it. Notice the character of love. Paul takes about four verses to tell us about love. There are eight negatives and four positives. Notice the first thing. Love suffers long. Philip Rockin says this, Isn't it interesting that the very first word Paul chooses to describe love is patience? The word here means to bear patiently with other people's faults and offenses, to be long-suffering. This is the first characteristic of agape love because it is totally unconditional. It is choosing to love another not because of who they are, but in spite of who they are, in spite of what they do to you or have done to you, it is a love which understands the frailties of human nature and refuses to take an offense. It is a love which sees the potential in people and does not demand instant maturity of growth. Do we not all need that? You've been offended, but you're long-suffering. He's not talking about things. You know how you can become impatient with things? Impatient with things. I heard a story about a pastor who was on a bicycle and he's riding through a neighborhood. He drives by this yard and there's a kid. He has a push lawnmower for sale. He says, for sale. Pastor stops. He says, kid, why are you selling that lawnmower? He said, well, preacher, I want a bike. And the preacher's thinking for a minute. He says, you know, I don't need this bike. He says, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give you this bike for your lawnmower. And the kid says, good deal. So he took it. He took the push mower. And as he's pushing it off, the kid says, I'm going to tell you something. You can't start that thing unless you cuss. And that preacher said this. He said, I'm a minister, son. I can't use that word. It's been so long since I've been saved. I don't even remember how to cuss. He says, you just keep pulling on that string. It'll come back to you real quick. <laughs> See? He's not talking about being impatient with things. You ever kicked your car or kicked something? All right. Love is patient. It can wait. Hey, look at me, ladies. If that guy loves you, he can wait. True love waits. Love is patient, is it not? If somebody loves you, it's a matter of the will. If you want to see if you're patient or not, go to Walmart. Amen? You remember David and Saul? David Saul came into the cave. David and his men were hiding. And his men said, kill him, God's put him in your hands. And David said, I will not. Love is patient. Love puts up with a lot. That's why you should be thankful for your parents, students. Because your parents, undoubtedly, are long-suffering because you're still here. Amen? But isn't God incredibly patient with us? I was just amazed at these verses. Psalm 103, 13, 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we're just us. He looks beyond us. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 1 Timothy 1. Paul says this. I'm the worst of sinners, or the chief of sinners. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display His unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on Him and receive eternal life. Isn't that amazing? God, you're saved today because God was patient with you. Be like that. Love is kind. The word used here is a verb which means to love, that love shows kindness. It gives the idea of not just being a nice person, but you take action in somebody else's life. 
Love is kind. I remember back when we were in here all the time. Christmas or Easter, this place is packed, right? I mean, it's packed. And we'd have people standing at the back. And there'd be oftentimes that I'd look out there, because I would do the welcome back then, and I'd see people I know leaving. Just leave. I mean, they'd leave. I'd call them later and say, I saw you at church. Where'd you go? Nowhere to set. You know what would have been a kind thing to do? And you didn't know it because you couldn't see them, so I'm not blaming you. Okay? What if you just get up and say, you can have my seat? Isn't it amazing, those of you that go into, into the cities, to see uh, women standing in men's setting? My grandpa would slap your face if he saw that. You, boy, be kind to these ladies. You stand up and let them sit. What if you gave somebody your church pew? Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, wouldn't that be amazing just to show a little bit of kindness? I saw this week where a lady had put on Twitter, I'm selling this football player's jersey, and I'm selling these shoes. I'm going to auction them off because I need to pay for my grandfather's funeral. And the football player heard about it and said, keep both of them, I'll pay for it for you. Isn't that kindness? Kindness. See, love is kind. That means you don't have to do something, but you will to do it for another person because you want to be kind. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were just a little bit kinder to each other love it does also does not jealous is not jealous it does not envy there's jealousy has two forms i want what someone else has or i wish they didn't have what they have jealousy can be a problem saul hated david because after a battle the people were singing saul's killed his thousands david has killed his ten thousands love is happy for the success of others do you get upset if somebody works in your same department and they get a raise and you don't? I always did. <laughs> I was mad. I was mad. I needed love, right? Is that just not a normal human nature? Love does not brag. It means it does not boast. Literally to be a windbag about yourself. It means, you, it means sometimes in uh, certain uh, entertainment segments, people have a hype man. They come out and they hype this guy up and then he comes out. You're your own hype man everywhere you go. That's what that means. To talk conceitedly the other side of jealousy is bragging about yourself to make others jealous of what you are. The Corinthians people, the church at Corinth, they were spiritual show-offs. I have this gift, you don't have that gift. It goes along with being arrogant. Love also does not behave rudely. Notice what the Bible says. Do not be rude. I heard uh, one person say this. This is love in relationship to society. We're social beings who live in community. As such, we have certain social customs and expectations Love cares enough about the people that it seeks to respect those conventions. Immodest dress, offensive language, and disrespect for others. All of these are great examples of general rudeness, which is incompatible with agape love. Therefore, love does not dress, speak, or act in a way that defies general standards and offends other people. Okay? So when you see somebody out dressed kind of weird or bad, you know, just ask rude. You don't have to say anything else. Hey, and think about this for a moment, students. Your parents at home, how do you speak to your parents? When I was a student pastor, I would bring this up all the time. I'd say, how do you speak to your parents? You say Jesus lives in your heart. I mean, the Holy Spirit of God lives in your heart. And you're going to speak to your mom or dad that way? And then you want to come here and be something in the youth group. No, I don't think so you got to get that right first, right? See, my mom cured our back talking. It was called the back of her hand. It was amazing how that, it was like a bus thing. She could do that back in those days. Look, don't be rude 
don't be rude. Love is not rude. Uh, I've shared this with you, I don't know how many times a bunch, but Junior Hill is one of the great preachers in America that a lot of people don't know. He's not hardly ever on TV, and he said he had just preached something like this in church, right? Goes to a restaurant. Said that he, said that he said, I had the worst waitress in America. So she wasn't mean, she was just terrible. Wrong order, wrong everything. He said that every time he wanted to say something, he'd write it down on a piece of napkin, right? And he said he was getting so upset, but he said he kept writing, front and back. Just had it in his hand. Every time she'd mess up, he'd just write something down instead of saying something. And she'd come up to him and said, sir, is there something wrong with you? I sense there's something wrong. He says, ma'am, I'm just sitting here reading my napkin. Sometimes it's better just to read your napkin, amen, than to say something. And I'm sure she wasn't making a whole lot of money. See, love is not rude. Love does not seek its own way. Imagine how much churches would change if we didn't have to have it our own way. See, at Burger King, you can have it your own way, right? That's their slogan. Churches, you don't always get it your way. And you'll find out how spiritually mature you are and how much you love your church whenever you don't get your way. Okay? It's kind of like when you vote on going to the sanctuary or the Jennings building. You'll find out who really loves their church when you don't get your way or if you do get your way. Okay? Think about that. Whenever COVID came and we had to close down, nobody knew what to do. Was this the right thing to do or wrong thing to do? You close down, people leave. You open up, people leave. Okay? Shows how much you love your church and how much you pray for your your, your leadership, because we said at the onset, we have no idea, because nobody else had any idea either, right? Nobody knew what to do. Shut down, close, shut down, open, shut down, open. We didn't know, okay? Quarantine, not quarantine, who knows, right? Just doing the best I can. We said, be patient with us, and those that love the church did. And those that didn't, they just left. Nothing you can do about it, right? See, love does not seek its own way. I'll do what's best for the church. Paul says this to the church at Philippi. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you, each of you should look out not only for your own interests, but also to the, be- to the interest of others. Love is not provoked, which means it's easily angered. To be easily provoked or stirred, to be irritated or touchy, to yield to provocation, one, one uh, pastor said, now understand this, we all have certain buttons which push will trigger an unloving reaction, don't we? We all got that button, that if you touch that button, it's game over, right? I've been in, I remember in the workplace, good people, right, just working, trying to make a living. But there was some guys, you touch a button, it's game over. I remember somebody touched a guy's button, I just left the room, I said, I don't want to see this. All right? And then go in a sewing department, and all the guys, people said, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I remember one time the plant manager came. He, they, all, they called me Rev and stuff back then. I wasn't even in ministry. Rev, we got a problem in the sewing department. I said, those women like me. You got to go in there and help us. I said, I will not step foot in that place. You couldn't pay me that. There's not enough money on the planet. And I did not do it. I did not get involved in that because I knew some of those people had buttons. He goes on to say, push the right buttons on me on the wrong day, and I'll probably end up owing you an apology. Being honest. He says, but some people are covered with buttons. Let me read that again. Some people, you're like an elevator. So many buttons. Armani loves the elevators because she mashes all the buttons. I said, you're going to get me kicked out of this hospital. All right? Look, they seem to take special pride in polishing and grooming their buttons. And then they wear them all over the front of their life where people can't help but bump into them. 
they even set their buttons on a hair trigger so that the slightest touch will provoke a reaction. Paul says that is not love. Love does not get ticked off, give angry lectures, or the silent treatment. Spouses, we hadn't talked in a, in, a, in a week. Really? You live in the same house? Do you really love each other? See, love is a matter of the will. Proverbs 19.11 says, a, wi- a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. A bad temper reveals an unloving spirit. We should bear with one another in love. It is to your glory to overlook an offense. Notice what else verse 5 says is, thinks no evil, or what it basically means is this, Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not keep score. I I, I was reading a commentary where a pastor said that he had a guy literally come to his church who had a file. It's a pretty large file of every church he was a part of and how every pastor had wronged him. And he says, what do you think about that pastor? He says, my name will be in there eventually. And guess what it was? And the guy left. Love don't keep records of wrongs. Do you find yourself writing down when your spouse does something wrong and dating it? That's a bad sign, right? Love keeps no record, record of wrongs. Paul uses the word here literally to count the evil, to credit someone's count. You did this, so I'm going to write it down. Love has a short memory of wrongs done. I remember last year, uh, kids were in school. I got behind a bus, and I thought, I'm going to be behind this bus forever, Right? Thought about passing it, thought that'd be illegal and I'd be arrested. So I, no, I didn't do that. But all them little middle schoolers were looking at me. And I thought, oh no, here we go. Oh yeah. So they started saying I was number one. Right, you know what I mean? They didn't use the right finger, but they were saying I was number one. They'd pop up like, hit whack-a-mole. Pop up and do it, pop up and do it. And I thought, am I going to have to watch this the whole time? Well, I thought, what am I going to do? Am I going to call their principal? No. Am I going to act like I am? Yes. So I had a state highway patrol sticker on my windshield. And all them boys were looking at me like that. And they just, you know, you're number one, you're number one. And I said this, I pulled my phone out and I held it up and I pointed at that sticker. Every one of them did like that. Well, they disappeared, right? They got back up and you know what they did? And I went, (laughs) I done like that. Look, they disappeared again. All of them disappeared. They come back up and they did this. They all got saved. They all got saved. So what I did was this. I said, I'm going to have a little fun with this. So I pointed at that sticker and I went, and I act like I was dying. And I went, yes, it's bus number. And I said it. And they went, and they all disappeared again. Well, thankfully, I pulled off the other side of the road. Now, I thought to myself, that boy will probably be a preacher. How do I know? Because I used to ride a bus. That's all I'll tell you about that. Okay. But love does not keep records of wrongs. Paul said this, think about God. The psalmist said, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? I shared that in prison. Amen, look look at me. If God kept a record of mine, I'm no better than you are. Amen. You just got caught. And then I told the prisoners this, hey, you know the stuff you've confessed? You got worse junk in your trunk than that. You just need to be honest with God about. So do I. Amen. The psalmist says, God, if you kept a record... Who could stand? None of us could. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God reconciled us to himself through Christ, not counting men's sin against them. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. Jeremiah said this, God says through Jeremiah, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Love does not, in verse 6 and 7, rejoice in iniquity. 
Love rejoices in the truth. John MacArthur says, Scripture leaves no room for watered-down Christian love that accepts and believes anything without regard for biblical truth. See, the truth will set you free. If I love you, I'll speak the truth, whether you like it or not. Amen? And see, our church has certain policies that I'm sure the community would say are unloving, but they're very loving because they're biblical. And we will not compromise on them. You should see the some uh, you should set in on some of the meetings I have with people that come to our church. Well, if you don't accept this and I'm not coming, and I'll say, Well, I'm sorry, you'll just have to leave. Love rejoices in the truth. The truth. You said the truth will set you free, whether you like it or not. It's the truth. Paul told Timothy, Timothy, you're in Ephesus, you're a young preacher. This place where you're preaching should be the pillar and ground for the truth in this community. And that's the standard we hold here at East Hazel. And we, we, that's why we tell people before they join, this is what we believe. This is what we believe about abortion. This is what we believe about uh, marriage. This is what we believe about Jesus. This is what we believe about this. This is what we believe about that. Now you have to decide if you want to be part of East Hazel Baptist Church because love rejoices in the truth. And then he says, if you have this kind of love, look, it'll bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, it'll endure all things. But what is the standard of love in closing? Think, notice this verse on the screen, Romans 5, 8. It's one of my favorite verses. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing to think about? While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Take Jesus' name and plug it in wherever you want to in these verses. Look, Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He is not rude. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Jesus is the only one who truly fulfills this beautiful picture of love. Now put your name in there. Jamie's patient. Uh Uh-oh. Time to pray. Jamie's kind, not all the time. He does not envy, sometimes I do. He does not boast, well, play golf with me. He is not proud, can be. He's not rude, can be. He's not self-seeking, can be. He's not easily angered, ask my wife. He keeps no record of wrongs, I'm not as bad about that. He does not delight in evil, nope. I do rejoice in truth, but I don't always protect, don't always trust, don't always hope, don't always persevere. Fall way short. You're not Jesus, but Jesus can help you. That's why invitations are so important for you to repent. When I read this, I thought, I fall way short of all this. Then you keep thinking about Jesus, right? You keep thinking about Jesus. David Jeremiah said this, God's perfect love for you existed deep in the depths of eternity. Even before time began, he created billions of wondrous galaxies, most of which no telescope will ever see. He created lovely atomic-level worlds no microscope will ever penetrate. He knows all, he transcends all. He's magnificent beyond human imagining, yet his love for you is so close and intimate that it far outshines that of human fathers, who when they first see their newborn infant, often count the baby's fingers and toes. He says, God actually numbers the hairs on your head. He knows and cherishes the tiniest details of your life. He watches over you every moment, and he has a plan for your life that has been in his heart longer than the world has existed. God loves you. Nobody loves you like Jesus. How much does God through Jesus love you? 
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Paul, writing to the church at Galatia, trying to explain this love, says, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. He speaks on marriage, talking about Jesus' love for us. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. First Corinthians, or 1 John 3.16 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So how is your love life today? I'm going to ask you to stand with me as our musicians come with just, just for a moment. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, I would tell you this, that no one loves you like Jesus. He loves you more than your mom, your dad, your grandparents, your spouse, your children. No one loves you like Jesus. And I would encourage you today to surrender your life to him. And then for the church, let me ask you a question. How is your love life today? In the quietness of this moment, you don't have to come forward. Just pray this in your heart. Lord, help me to be kind. Lord, help me to be patient. Lord, forgive me for keeping records. Lord, forgive me for being rude. Lord, forgive me for being arrogant. Lord, help me to love, truly love Agape love my spouse. Father, help me to agape love my children, grandchildren. Lord, help me to love my neighbors and my community and my church like you love me. Father, we want to thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. Father, help us to love. Help us today to make a commitment to love like you love. What is true love? We see it on the cross. Father, we see it in the Gospels with your interaction with all types of people. Lord, forgive us for falling so short, but Lord, help us to love. I pray that this would be the most Bible-believing, truth-sharing, loving church in this community. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said, amen. If you'll just be seated for just a moment, we're going to go into our business meeting. If you're if you're a visitor and you'd like to leave, you can. This won't last long, but uh, this is a special called business meeting for the purpose of voting on deacons. Do I have a motion to be seated?